Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Greetings and felicitations. Hip, hip, hurrah. Tally ho. Hey, my little Georgia peach. Hip, hip. What do you think about Starlog Magazine issue number five? From May of 1977. Wasn't this a great read? Yeah, this one was really different because it didn't um, it didn't focus as much on on Hollywood news. Just science fiction news and a lot of behind the scenes things. We're going to see that in the next two issues. Actually, the cover states that there are fantastic color photos. It's a dollar fifty. 3D photos. There's a UFO episode guide. It's the three. Wait, wait, UFO as in the TV series. Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not not unidentified flying objects, but the British TV show. It's a 3D spectacular. Also, Space 1999 coverage, address guide, and spacescapes. We're seeing the cover is a space scene. And we're going to talk about how space art was really a rage in the 70s and how people were appreciating the unique visual arts and starting to collect art for their house. Instead of scenes from the ocean or scenes of landscapes that most normal people would have, nerds were starting to collect spacescapes. So let's open it up. Interior has an ad for Delray Books. So advertising the sword of Shannara... Also, the books of J.R.R. Tolkien, 50 cents for a guide. Books were only $1.50 each and $1.95 each. Remember the good old days, those prices? Oh, yeah, that was cheap. I mean, I mean, like for... Paperbacks. It's paperbacks, but yeah, for, for a regular-sized book, you can't get them for that price now for paperbacks. From the bridge... Editorial by Kerry O'Quinn, the editor-in-chief. He states, I have always thought that the most horrible tragedy in life is a human being enslaved to a job that does nothing more than put food on the table. There's so much more to us than just stomachs. Some people refuse to do work they don't enjoy. Their career is also their greatest joy. Some people say these are the lucky ones, but they aren't. They're the demanding ones. The science fiction field seems to breed more than a share of professionals who love what they do. Isaac Asimov, before he was one of the greats in the field, said, I was only a kid reading science fiction and experiencing it in the extreme joy of beyond description. Many of the people who work on our magazine, including myself, grew up clipping Chelsea Mossdale paintings out of Life magazine collecting Flash Gordon comics, drawing our own amateur visions of life on the moon, other planets, and cities of the future. With those romantic images soaring through our minds, how could we think of settling for the routine career? In this issue, we examine the life and early work of another demanding one, spacecape artist Don Dixon. Also this issue, researcher, writer... Dave Hutchinson gives us a delightful tour through the history and techniques of 3D visuals. This issue is dedicated to these people, 
and to all our readers who are equally demanding of their lives. Whether you have already done it or will demand of it in the, your future, there is no greater success in life than turning your pleasure into your profession. Which totally makes sense. That's one of the reasons that we love going to conventions so much and talking to and getting to know other artists and writers because they're able to make a living creating the cool things that we love. It's great to talk to them. The thing is, they they are there because they like to talk to us. I mean, they're not there just to make a buck. They actually want to, to meet their audience and, and get our feedback because they're artists. So like you said, this issue leans away from Hollywood, but instead goes to a different direction. The behind-the-scenes no, people. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of TV stuff in here and movies. There but, always but, will I mean, be, but sure. But it does have it. But this one has, has a lot more of the uh, the artist's work. Absolutely. We have an ad on the next page for a book club, science fiction book club. Any four science fiction bestsellers for just ten cents. <laughs> Books like Children of Dune, A World Out of Time, The Hugo Award winners, Imperial Earth. Now communications. Science fiction in school. Our science fiction course is a survey of the development of science fiction as a literary form and a discussion of the range of science fiction themes from gadget story to social criticism. We also discuss current science fiction films and TV shows such as Star Trek and Space 1999. When I discovered your magazine, I realized that it would be a great time saver in keeping up with the world of science fiction. Our English department has purchased a subscription to Starlog so that I and other teachers who will be teaching science fiction may use it as a teaching resource. This is from a teacher at the Rancost Valley Regional High School in Mount Holly, New Jersey. How cool is that, that they have a science fiction class in high school? I never had that when I was a kid. Did you? No, that's very interesting. The, th the thing is, at my school, if you look at the course catalog, there, there was a science fiction class that was described in the catalog, but what, what someone said was that, like... They, they just never offer, they, they don't actually offer the class anymore because nobody ever wants to take it, apparently. They can't get enough people to, who are interested to actually offer the class. Interesting. What do you think about this? Praise and perceptiveness. Starlog is, in my experience, the finest, most beautifully put together science fiction reportage magazine that I have ever seen. It blends nicely two sometimes conflicting ingredients objectivity, and enthusiasm for all areas of science fiction. Bravo. In the article Dream Machines in issue number three, shows the cover to the April 1939 issue of Amazing Stories. The illustration, to paraphrase, foreshadows the non-aerodynamic design of modern spacecraft. Actually, the cover artist was himself inspired not by thoughts of spacecraft, but by a planetarium projector probably the one at New York Hayden. A close look reveals lens openings and other projector G-jaws disguised but recognizable. Now this is Richard Penny by, out of Taunton, Massachusetts. I wonder if it's the Richard Penny that was one of the creators of ElfQuest. Oh, really? You I know he's name. from the Northeast. Okay. It could be, and he's a hardcore sci-fi fan. 
But that was the issue that talked about how science fiction and science fact kind of go back and forth with each other. Because science fiction is built on real science. They they try to use it as much as they can. Yeah. I love this one. The Space Beat Goes On. Your magazine is the finest tribute to science fiction ever made. You are helping start a new area of sci-fi. I am a musician and enthusiast for what is commonly called progressive rock. Most of this type of music has a science fiction basis to it. Bands like Genesis, Kraftwerk, and Synergy are some of the most famous. Their material consists of sci-fi lyrics and synthesizer backgrounds. Another typical and extremely famous sci-fi band is Pink Floyd, loved by millions. This is from James Finch from Salmanica, New York. Notice Starlog's comments. Apparently, some of those millions are among our readers. We've received many letters pointing out to what might be called the rock connection to science fiction, and most have mentioned the Casablanca group advertised on our last two back covers, KISS. Now, I've been saying that forever. I mean, when I was growing up, if I wanted to talk about comic books or science fiction or all geeky things... It was the metalheads that liked it all, because you look at, like he said, the lyrics of a lot of bands have the science fiction ties to it. And Starlog started advertising these bands on the back covers. They do. They have like something like a, a Kiss ad on their back cover. Mm-hmm. Angel. I mean, it goes on and on, and and I see the connection totally. And and there are there are um, rock people in into sci-fi. Now, now I just have to mention. Jeff Russo, who wrote the music for Discovery, and he's mm-hmm. also in the in the rock band Tonic. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, there are, there are definite connections there. Oh, absolutely. And this is a '70s magazine, but as time went on, uh, well, we know the David Bowie connection, but Anthrax made music, and Iron Maiden has songs about Final Frontier and about Dune. So there is a total connection there. Latest news from the worlds of science fiction. Log entries. Space education places to look. If you're interested in factual information about the space program and other related projects, there's a publication that you keep you ahead of the news. It is the newsletter of the National Space Institute. Again, Starlog is reporting on real life space and science. I like that blend that this magazine has. They did a lot of that in the early issues. I mean, later on in the 80s, they got into more like where it was all just movies and TV. Yes. But, but these articles were always interesting about, um, about science. And the one that was about um, heat insulating for the shuttle. Oh, that's crazy. Now, if you look at the picture, it's a gentleman holding a glowing cube. And it was some kind of a heat insulating object that was actually used on the shuttle and they said it was made by by Lockheed which is um, is actually located in Marietta which is a part of Atlanta interesting a, a very well-known space institution there and they they make um well airplanes it's mostly known for for making airplanes I'm making the new Kong I love this massive picture of King Kong destroying New York Harbor and it talks about the new book, The Creation of Dino De Laurentiis, King Kong. Fantastic movie. And 
Yeah, so there's it's it's one of my book. favorite expressions of King Kong of all time. Dino De Laurenti is also a known Hollywood director. He also did the Flash Gordon movie in the eighties. He sure did. Yeah. Twin twentieth releases for sci-fi fans. This log entry is about Ralph Bakshi's movie Wizards: A Tale of Sword and Sorcery in the year two million A.D. Great movie. We watched that together with a group of fans at a room party one year at Dragon Con. And also, this is really interesting. The article states that Wizard is the warm-up in preparation for Bakshi's next project, a 10-year, three-film animation of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Now, we know that that fell through, that he never completed the trilogy. But man, I wish they, I wish it did work out. <laughs> a 10 year yeah, Lord of the Re- Rings animated trilogy. These, yeah, about these old magazines. You look back and think, well, oh gee, I wish they could have done that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're reminded of all this stuff that, that you might have heard about back then that was in the works, but it's like, oh well. They, they did do other animated Lord of the Rings, but not that. Correct. Yeah. 20th Century's live action release. Is the much delayed Damnation Alley now officially retitled Survival Run? Delray Books premieres with 12 titles. It shows the husband and wife team. Delray Books became a major source of science fiction book fandom. It talks about all the different titles that they're releasing. And I like the fact that, and we saw the ad at the beginning of the magazine, I like the fact that especially at this time, sci-fi fans were watching TV, watching movies, and reading books, too. Well, well the books are, I mean, that's really the roots of sci-fi. Sure, from the, absolutely. The old um, science fiction books by Heinlein and, and Frank Herbert, all the, and And, and going back to Pulps, of even, course. Yeah, even the older ones. Mm-hmm. Sci-Fi Academy presents 1976 Awards. The Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films has announced its Golden Scroll Awards for 1976. Amongst the winners and recipients are Logan's Run for Best Science Fiction, The Holes for Best Fantasy, Burnt Offerings for Best Horror, and King Kong Special Award. War in Space it was recently disclosed that two Soviet hunter-killer satellites have been launched as a test and returned to Earth within the same day. Pal explains new Time Machine film. Back in 1960, MGM released the Time Machine based on the H.G. Well classics. The George Pal production starred Rod Taylor and Yvette Mimino and is a time traveler... Now, Pal is trying to produce a sequel, tentatively entitled The Time Machine Part 2. Attacks on Commercial Television The PBS special, Critique on Commercial Networks, You Should See What You're Missing, which aired November 26, 1976, made a number of interesting points, primarily that commercial television is not for free. This is so true. New Harryhausen Sinbad Epic. In cooperation with Columbia Pictures, are back with their third Sinbad adventure, this time entitled Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Now, I love these movies. The Sinbad movies were 
I always viewed it as a prequel to Clash of the Titans. I was so young at the time that I I knew visually what they all look like, and it very looks very similar. Incredible stop motion production. They could do, you know, they had their own way of doing the special effects back then. They were incredible. I loved them. And and it yeah, it, w- it was still good. You can still go back and watch it and mm-hmm. and and see some of the realism in it. When rights collide. Starlog number one reported a joint production by Universal and Paramount, which would remake the 1951 George Pound movie, When Worlds Collide. Latest information indicates that the upcoming feature will bear little resemblance to the film whose famous title it will use. On page 13, we have a notion of future conventions. So when we say that Starlog was our internet, this is one of the reasons why we say that. Conventions such as Art Kane 2 out of York, Pennsylvania. Lunacon 77 out of New York. Space Odyssey Ithaca AlphaCon out of Ithaca, New York. Westercon 30 out of Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia. Rivercon 3 out of Louisville, Kentucky. Suncon Science Fiction out of Miami Beach, Florida and StarCon San Diego. Feature article, 3D strikes again, and again, and again. Another article about 3D films, because you remember back in Starlog number 4, there was a big article about 3D films of the 1950s. Yeah, and it was interesting in the other article. So this one, yeah, this one continues it, and it says a lot of stuff. Yeah, and if you're really technical, then this is for you. It goes into a lot of the technical stuff about how 3D films are made. And and there are actually different ways to make 3D films, and so this describes different ways to make them. And some of them were more successful than others as far as how, how well it, it came out and uh, how well it did in the movies or how, how well how good the visual effect was when people were, were watching it. Yes, and actually has little workshops that you could put together to make things such as, and I didn't, after, I should say, before reading this article, I didn't realize that there are so many different methods, such as the cross-eyed method, the drift method, the mirror method, the stereoscopic motion pictures, the eclipse system. We're most familiar with the red and green separation. I think that's the most iconic version. Yeah, you just have the the glasses. One one lens is green and one lens is red. And, and in fact, even and before you put the glasses on, you're you're looking at like because I remember I just had a poster and everything. It was a white background and all the pictures were drawn in a red or a green outline. Yes, and so we have lots of samples of this here, and it came with three glasses, so we're able to look at that. Even gives you ideas on how to make your own 3D photography. So, yeah, you can just about read this and make your own 3D movie if you wanted to. This this goes into that much detail about it. The Starlog Science Fiction Address Guide. Now, this is a guide of all different studios and the productions that the studios have going on. So it has the addresses of ABC Studios, Irwin Allen Productions... Four Star I mean, International. It goes on and on. I would love to have had this back then. <laughs> I mean, and you know when I, because when I started reading Starlog, so I really I think like my first issue was number sixteen or something. So I didn't mm-hmm. have this one. 
But yeah, this is this is neat having all these addresses because I would love to have written to you know like movie stars back then, and I, and I think I did have a magazine, you know like teen magazines like um dynamite magazine they had yes. a list of addresses mm-hmm. so there there were like you know if you looked you could find it somewhere but but yep. this one is actually a very comprehensive list in this issue totally starlog interview with scape spacescape artist don dixon now i thought this was pretty fascinating how this is a guy who just loved science fiction to the point where he started using the method that the average artist would use for scenery. He started envisioning, well, what would life be on other planets, and can I make landscapes of those planets? This was an interesting guy, yeah, reading this this interview with him. And the thing is, he's not just an artist, but he, he really is a scientist. He knows space science, and he knows about, like, like, how you can see one, you know, like when you're on the um, on Saturn and seeing, or when you're on one of Saturn's moons, and he knows how how well you should be able to see Saturn from each of the moons. Exactly, and I like thought that, that was fascinating. Yeah. So it's not just I'm gonna draw a circle here, I'm gonna draw some craters here, and change the colors. There actually is a science behind the actual places that he is painting. And he knows about, you know, so how realistic it would look. And then also about, you know, he said, like, for, for movies and the way they were doing things, sometimes he had to do something that, that wouldn't really be scientifically accurate, but it's okay because we're making a movie here. Things like that. And this is the type of magazine that you have to look at it to see the beauty of it and how different planets have different atmospheres because of the methane or the hydrogen the greenhouse effect he takes it all into consideration and and also he talked about the camera work and how it has to be used a certain way and, and it can be expensive and do trying to do animation with the camera work yes so so yeah different things that the uh, that the directors and producers have to work with and even when he shows pictures of planets that have rings around them he doesn't always show like we commonly see Saturn with the rings either horizontal or at a slight angle. He looks at the science behind it where if you were standing on Titan at a certain time, the Saturn would rings would be straight up and down. So he uses different angles of planets because there is no such thing as up or down in space. And he also did the uh, the cover art for this issue of Starlog, and and that is uh, that's Saturn's rings, right? And they are yes. and they are more vertical than you're used to. Yeah, great ideas that he has here. Advertisement for Audiorama. Starlog presents the worlds of science fiction on records. Great fiction writings, outstanding actors, colorful comic characters, exciting music. It's all here for your convenient shopping guide to audio adventure. We have quite a few spoken word LPs, such as 2001 A Space Odyssey, Ray Bradbury's Illustrated Man, The War of the Worlds. Also, science fiction and superhero spoken records. Now, we're familiar with these, such as Six Million Dollar Man, Batman, Superman. I mean, when we were kids, we loved those story records. Those were fun to listen to, yeah. Now, now I think these days, 
Th- these are all free on YouTube, aren't they? You can just they sure listen are. to it. You can just mm-hmm. listen to it. And, and you can tell that it's a record too. It has that sound of the, you know, the way the needle sounded back then. Yes. So the spoken LPs for science fiction were six ninety eight. The kid records were three ninety eight. They also had comic book and forty five record sets that were a dollar forty nine, such as Spider Man, Hulk, Planet of the Apes, Space nineteen ninety nine. Great stuff. Advertisement Pre publication special order for Starlog readers. The Starlog Photo Guidebook Movie and Television Spaceships. Two ninety five. But if you order before March thirty first, it's two sixty five. Here's the exciting first edition in a series of Starlog photo guidebooks, designed as quality collector's volumes printed on heavy high gloss coated paper with full color throughout. This first edition features a complete photo history of movie and spaceships. Over 100 rare and beautiful photos with data on each one. This is a must for every science fiction fan. Now we have that. It's a little bit thicker than a standard magazine. And so at the time, that was a big deal to have all in one place a variety of different spaceships from different TV shows and movies. It's a cool magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Back issues of Starlog magazine. Range from five dollars to two dollars each. Oh, this is only what this is only issue number five, and they're selling back issues. Sure. UFO. The operation was a success, but the patient died. This is an article about the British television series UFO. It states before the moon was blasted out of orbit and sent hurtling through deep space in the year 1999. The Earth fought a desperate secret war. That crucial, quiet struggle took place in the mid-80s and apparently was successful for our planet. Commander John Koenig of Moonbase Alpha owes a big debt to Commander Ed Straker of Shadow for his one-year war with invading alien forces. Now, this is a production. Watching it, you can tell it's Irwin Allen. It has that Irwin Allen feel all over it. With regards to the smaller ships and the dioramas. Well, even the, like, the flying saucer that looked like the Jupiter 2 and... Mm-hmm. Irwin Allen had a certain look for his, his productions. This was a short-lived British show. And we know why, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people really love it. I'm just not so much of a fan. I like the pretty girls in the purple wigs, but beyond that, it's just, I mean, I mean, there was a lot of half-naked ladies on it. But beyond yes, that, it, it was a hard show for well, me to watch. Well, it was very colorful, and mm-hmm. it had and it had great visuals, and it seemed to be, yeah, more for visuals. We didn't care as much for the stories. It was, I mean, it must have been entertaining to someone at the time, but it, but it really didn't. It didn't last long, though. Not at all. And this has a complete episode guide, which I love looking at these Starlock episode guides. I mean, the plots really sound interesting when you're just reading it there. You're just reading a summary, and you go, oh, wow, wouldn't that be neat? And and then reading some of the actors, and some of them you might be familiar with, and you go, oh, look who was in it. And you might want to see it just for that one person. Speaking of episode guides, goes into the Space 1999 Season 2 episode guide. This is 
continues on with the episode guides because we know that season two was currently running on TV during that time. So episodes like the Lombata Factor, the Immunity Syndrome, the Return of the Doricons. They, they took a, uh, a Star Trek episode name. <laughs> they sure did. <laughs> but I, I didn't dislike season two as much as some other people did. It was a different feel. It was a little bit more action and adventure instead of being so cerebral. They changed a lot. They sure did. But you liked that shape changer that they added yes, for season two, right? Yes, I did. I right? liked Maya. Mm-hmm. But, but isn't it just great, though, that Starlock had these episode guides? Because, yeah, and I loved those. I loved yes. seeing those for all the shows. I mean, we, we didn't have any other place to get those. This is the then. IMDb. Yes. Right? Cancellation. Now, here is the announcement. As we go to press, there is no word on a renewal of Space 1999 for the third season. The conflict rages. Starlog probably receives more mail concerned with Space 1999 television series than any other subject. Some readers are widely complimentary, while others are just as negative. Without question, the show is controversial. Hey, isn't that true with virtually anything? Yeah, it is. Another advertisement for Serial World. And this is a company that sells magazines that dealt with the old black and white serials. $6 for four issues, $1.50 for a single issue, out of Madalena, Minnesota. Star Teasers. We have a variety of puzzles and classifieds. I love looking at old classifieds. Such as... Forbidden Planet, ID Monster, color 8x10. You can order this out of Saimar, California, still things. Movie posters, press books, stills, programs, star portraits. $1 for a giant catalog out of Conshokan, Pennsylvania. Discounts on weekly early comics, movie posters, and back issues. The Abyss out of Grand River Avenue, two blocks west of Six Mile in Detroit, Michigan. Starlog Vision showing artist conceptions of the space antenna and how we're still looking for life on other planets. So, so they had it wrong about a moon base because they they thought that like that by. I mean, you know, we're in 2020 now, so of course they, like back then, it's, they just thought that we would advance so much more scientifically that we would have a base on Mars by now. Yes. And it talks about man's first attempt at broadcasting the existence to the rest of the universe with this small plaque attached to the Pioneer 10 spacecraft. Due to the trajectory, there is no serious possibility of its coming close to some life-supported world for the next 10 billion years or so. And Dr. Sagan, as Carl Sagan, predicted that mankind will be occupied over the next three centuries with the exploration of our native system. So, got that wrong. Well, we, we you know, we are exploring our native system, but also so much more beyond that, too. Yes. Because we have the technology to, to actually see a, a lot more than just our system. I got the impression out of this that he was speaking more about us physically going out. Really? Yeah, it could be. Right. And we and we are, you know, so they are there are people in space now. Mm-hmm. But it's still yeah, we're still far away from building a new colony or anything like that. It talks about the transmissions. 
There are so many satellites in space. Can you envision roller derby or Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman being the first signal to reach another civilization? Perhaps this is yet another argument for improving the quality of television programming. Oh, right. <laughs> so, saying that, it, yeah, that our, our, like, TV shows get transmitted and then they eventually, they get transmitted. I actually like Mary space. Hartman, Mary Hartman. I would watch that late night. But what about all the other shows? <laughs> awesome magazine. Godzilla! You can pretend Godzilla turns a mighty castle into a pile of sand. Go do it, Godzilla! You control Godzilla's ugly tongue. You can make him stomp, pound his tail, pretending he strikes it all in his way. You can launch Godzilla's claw for the final blow. We did it! What will Godzilla do next? It's up to you. Godzilla with a claw that launches some assembly required from the Shogun Warrior Collection by Mattel. Hey, let's talk about Starlog, issue number six, June of 1977. Cover title, Coming, Star Wars. Special effects, part one. 150 science fiction movies. Fantastic Journey interviews Roddy McDowell and DC Fontana. Space 1999, cancellation. Rare photos and art. Robert Heinlein, The Making of Destination Moon. Advertisement. First page, the Starlog Photo Guidebook to Movie and Television Spaceships. Great magazine. We have it. Beautiful pictures. The, the spaceship pictures are, are so wonderful because they have a lot of detail and color. And this was not available in newsstands. It was only sold through bookstores and mail order. Yeah, I ordered several magazines, you know, back then through Starlog. From the bridge, editor-in-chief Carrie O'Quinn writes, Recently I received a letter from an intelligent young reader who attempted to shed some light on the indignation over the use in early Starlog issues of the term sci-fi. As opposed to science fiction. For too long, he wrote, science fiction in literature and film has been considered by the masses to be junk, trash, and generally worthless. This has not been helped by a plethora of low-budget, poorly produced science fiction and horror films boasting bad acting and cardboard monsters. The respectable magazines and media reviewers have adapted the word sci-fi, usually followed by words of disgust, pity, and disbelief. Most of them are deservably... Our editorial staff has officially replaced sci-fi with SF because it takes less space and makes some of our readers happy. We are not intimidated by the pejorative uses of sci-fi by critics and other publications. While most of our readers use sci-fi as affectionate slang, it is true that the term is often used in a negative way, and also true that the field of science fiction frequently suffers from a bad reputation. We don't intend to debate the roots and meanings of slang terminology. That isn't the point of this letter. We do lament the fact that respectable magazines can make us feel uncomfortable with certain language when we talk about it in our own field. We resent the fact that science fiction's reputation has such power over those within it. We offer the following as a statement of Starlog's position on this issue and its intellectual ammunition for any readers who feel hurt, 
put down, belittled, or in any way intimidated by anyone's hostility or patronizing smiles toward your love and enjoyment of science fiction dramas. No field of literature is by nature junk and trash. There's a good work and bad work within each field. There are hundreds of bad love stories written and published each year, but they don't give the entire field a lousy reputation. A field is judged by its potentials, not by its lowest representatives, and the science fiction field has superlative potentials. Now, what do you have to say about that? I, I mean, the, the term sci-fi, like, no one argues about it now. This was, like, it, apparently In 1977, it was an, issue, it was an issue. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so it must be, like, Trekkie and Trekker, you know, <laughs> something that people want to argue about. You, you need to use one because the other is disrespectful. So, I mean, I'm glad they, they got past that, that thing, you know, back then. But, yeah, I never thought it was disrespectful. Just, to, you know, we use the term sci-fi because now we have the sci-fi channel, and it is spelled where you would pronounce it sci-fi. No doubt. Communications. Star Wars. I've just finished reading Star Wars by George Lucas, and I remembered reading in Starlog that 20th Century Fox was making the movie. Can you please print an article on the special effects of Star Wars and perhaps a few stills from the movie? Keep up the good work. Dave Faines out of Toronto, Canada. Starlog responds by saying, We're beginning its coverage of Star Wars in this issue and will continue with a full-scale spectacular in issue number 7, including the scenes and photos and, of course, lots of color. Star Wars book came out months before the Star Wars movie. Yes, and people were interested in it. That's um, crazy is, to yeah, think that. The thing is, so there was an article. They're saying there's, yeah, there's an article in this issue about Star Wars, but they mm -hmm. didn't really put it on the cover. Like, they, they didn't really hype the Star Wars movie because they didn't. They figure right. it would just be like any other yeah, science fiction yeah. movie. It would do all right probably the first couple weeks and then move on. Crazy. I mean, it, yeah, it wasn't really until Empire Strikes Back when they started um, having it on the cover more and talking about it more like it was this big thing. It's true. Is it science fiction? I happened to come across of Starlog number 3 the other day, and having gone through it with a fine-tooth comb, I must tell you that this issue comes pretty close to being one of the most entertaining and satisfying mags I have seen, and after a few years of reading the genre. The cover is apropos and very funny, and even originally appeared in Mad as it was worth seeing again. Congratulations to Jack Rickard for his creative artwork. Now for the bad stuff. Although Tom Rogers' articles on science fiction movies for TV was acceptable, I disagree completely with his including Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Frankenstein as examples of science fiction. Science fiction, to my mind, usually deals with either futuristic visions of our own planet or extraterrestrial adventures. Now, let's talk about that because I've been saying for a long time I don't consider Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde a horror movie. And science, and, and one of the first what's recognized as science fiction novels is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It is something that's hard to define. I mean, people have their own ideas about it. I would like to say science fiction has to be scientific, has to be science in in a way, but also, but you know, but it's a fiction. But I mean, and both yeah, of those fall are, in that category. Animating so, so, a man through yeah. the science of using electricity is science. But it's fiction. 
It it is, but yet when they well, I guess because because we see it more um, the movie versions of these things. The movie made it into horror mm-hmm. instead of science fiction. So so the but the two things do not have to be mutually exclusive. But some people kind of see it in their minds as if if it's a monster, it's not science fiction. What do you consider alien? It's right. horrifying it's, it's science anything. fiction. I mean, it's we see the genres within time, especially, are going to blend and overlap. They do, and yeah, something does not have to be one or the other. But some some people still because some people are going to catch on to it more as being one type than the other. That's true. But alien is something that I mean, in in my mind, it's it's different from science fiction because because I I um. When I was younger, I tended to stay away from horror, from anything that was scary. So I wouldn't have watched Alien. I would have said, that's a horror movie. Whereas I would have seen something like Star Wars that is more... what. And of course, and people will argue about whether or not Star Wars is science fiction too. But it's on the space surface, fantasy, think, yeah. of course. I mean, so there's subgenres of horror. There's subgenres of. I mean, what do you call the boys? We love the TV show The Boys that's on Amazon. Probably fantasy. Would you call it a superhero? Because none of them are really super in the way that they act behind the scenes. Yeah, you would have to call right? I mean, I would say superhero, but then with a twist. And there's right? horrifying mm-hmm. scenes in there. And it and it is, um, it's very violent, yes. Coming soon. Besides more articles on Space 1999 and Wonder Woman, how about some articles and episode guides on some of the children's science fiction shows like Land of the Lost and Ark 2? Older shows like Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, The Time Tunnel, and Land of the Giants are popular too. My appreciation of science fiction has developed slowly but steadily, and your magazine has helped to intensify this appreciation. Janet Rossfeld, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, we love Land of the Lost. Didn't they have some? Well, I mean, they do have articles on it lately. Yeah, I can see her point. A lot of these shows, great stuff. They respond saying, each day our office mail brings hundreds of requests for favorite TV shows and movies. And yet at conventions, some fans actually ask us what we'll publish in Starlog when we run out of shows to cover. The answer is, we will never run out. Never. And eventually, we'll cover every science fiction drama ever ever produced. Along the way, hopefully, we'll intensify many appreciations by introducing our readers to science fiction they never dreamed existed. Now, that is true. <laughs> There's so much material, and we learned about certain science fiction films and TV shows because of Starlog. I never knew a lot of this stuff existed. And that's the reason we love this magazine. And, yeah, and they do take people's requests. I think they do. They they did wind up talking about a lot of other shows. And, and I love how they, even when it's like in the 70s and they go back to talk about a 60s show or a 50s show, they do. They talk about the older shows, too. Absolutely. Latest news from the worlds of science fiction. Log entries. Future Cop. ABC Television has bought six segments of Future Cop, a new science fiction television series whose pilot aired last year. The show will be presented irregularly as a series of specials on various weeknights over the next few months. Golden Scroll honors Arkoff. The Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films presented its Golden Scroll Awards for 1976 
at a ceremony honoring Samuel Z. Arkoff, President and Chairman of American International Pictures. Mr. Arkoff was honored with the Academy's Life Career Award. The presentation was made by George Powell. MGM's Logan's Run netted eight awards, including Best Picture. Best Actor was split between David Bowie from The Man Who Fell to Earth and Gregory Peck from The Omen. Blythe Danner was honored as Best Actress for her performance in Future World. Star Wars Scheduled for its release this June is a massive, sprawling spectacle of galactic repression, rebellion, and intrigue, featuring robot, human, and alien heroes, a captured princess, larger-than-life villains, and ancient mysterious technique for working one's will known simply as the power. There are also more spaceships of different signs and function that have ever appeared before in one film, including a planet-sized battle machine aptly named the Death Star. Pictured on this page are two pre-production paintings that can only start to suggest the scope and action of this grand-scale space opera. So some of that changed, we know, like calling it the power instead of the force. Mm -hmm. and... and these are Ralph McQuarrie paintings, which when I was a kid, I had a Ralph McQuarrie portfolio that my mother bought mm -hmm. for me, and I loved it. It showed Luke in scuba gear, and this is one of the paintings. It shows stormtroopers holding lightsabers and shields. Well, so some, some ideas changed, but it's a beautiful picture, though. Mm -hmm. NASA scientists ready for more. The highly successful but inconclusive Mars Viking mission has served to whet the appetites of Earth scientists. The Viking orbiters and landers provided them with all sorts of surprising and puzzling information and has left them chaffing at the bit for a follow-up program. Blood City Being ready for release is producer Marilyn Stonehouse's Blood City, the science fiction drama scripted by Michael Weinler and Stephen Schrenk is set for a violent western town. The movie features an all-star cast of fantasy film veterans including Jack Palance, Keir Dula, Barry Morse. Now I like this advertisement, Classics of Science Fiction Art. We're seeing a big posters and display of all sorts of art on alien worlds, alien showcases. Now one of these was used for the Queen album, News of the World. I didn't realize that that wasn't produced for the album specifically. Six prints for $29.95. That's probably not bad. <laughs> yeah. And they're signed in pencil by the artist for $6. Unsigned, $4. I'll pay the two bucks to get this. I don't understand why it's signed in pencil, though. It's weird. Chris Reeve to play Superman. After screen testing over 200 actors, including Sylvester Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger, the cast of the role for the latest project, Superman Part 1 and Part 2, they are being filmed simultaneously. Chosen to portray the Man of Steel is actor Christopher Reeve. Chris is 24 years old, stands 6 foot 4 tall, and weighs 190 pounds. Dude, at that time, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it he was—he was lean muscle. Yeah, well, he—he he built up for the movie. He too. sure did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, six foot four. There are wrestlers that aren't six foot four. You don't realize <laughs> mm -hmm. how tall he is on 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 the movie. 
Yeah, you you don't really notice it. I mean, you you know he he's tall, but you just have to think he's taller than Arnold Schwarzenegger, way taller than Rocky Balboa. I can't believe that that Sylvester Stallone was even considered the part. Can you imagine Sylvester wow, Stallone yeah. as Superman? No, weird really. casting. No, that. It, yeah, that would have been weird. Yeah. At the official announcement at New York chic restaurant Sardi's, it was revealed that Chris will be doing various exercising and lifting weights to achieve a super physique. Although Salkin had said he wanted an unknown for the part, Reeve hardly fits that description. I never heard of him before this. Yeah, he wasn't that famous before this. The Cornell graduate has many acting credits from the legitimate theater, including appearances in repertory companies and the Princeton Shakespeare Festival. Also, he was a Shakespeare actor. Other minor problems have involved... Marlon Brando, who's getting almost 10% of the film's estimated $25 million budget for his role as Jor-El, Superman's father. Now, that made big news. I remember my grandfather talking about it. Yeah, Brando was such a, a diva in this. He he made these demands. Like, you know, he had to have the uh, the Superman symbol on his chest. and Yes. And, and he also had a, a difficult schedule that they had to work around. So, yeah. And it talks about that. It says, last November, when shooting was about to start, Brando decided that he could not work in Rome, so stakes were pulled up and production moved to London. <laughs> How do you yeah. not want to work in Rome? What's the deal <laughs> with this guy? Lovecraft on the screen. Production has started on Cinema Vista's film Cry of Cthulhu, inspired by H.B. Lovecraft's Cthulhu Myths Tales, with release date tentatively set for mid-September. Okay, I never knew anything about this. I don't even know if it came out. Yeah, we've never kept up with that with that fandom, but it's still a huge fandom now. I figure I would have heard about it at least. So something for us to research. Wells Adaptions. As previously reported in Starlog number two, this summer we'll see release from AIP of two H.G. Wells classics, The Island of Dr. Morrow and The Empire of the Ants. Misdirection in science fiction. Women's Live comes to science fiction with the publication of The Venus Factor. With Roger L. Wood as co-editor, Vic Jihala as produced creme de la femme of science fiction authors writing about women who dabbled in the mysterious of time and space. Okay, so they, there was um, a story about Agatha Christie. As she went into the realm of speculative fiction, as she relates the chilling tale of a medium who evokes a vision so real, it threatens her very existence in The Last Seance, which is one of the stories in here. Yeah, so it looks like it's a collection of, of stories by women. Very interesting. And, and yeah, women don't get as much recognition as, as science fiction writers. And because, I mean, even I know going into the 80s, there were the women who used it. If it was a female author, a lot of times she was just use her initials mm-hmm. so that people wouldn't that true, know yes. it was a woman. And mm-hmm. even and even Dorothy Fontana on the original Star Trek did that as DC Fontana. Yes, that so, that yeah. was my first awareness of that even happening because I would watch Star Trek and say, "Man, I love the episodes with DC Fontana. It's, it's gonna be a good episode with DC Fontana." I never knew DC was Dorothy. Right. Crichton's Fantasy Illustrated. Bantam Books has just released a special illustrated pocketbook edition of Michael Crichton's Eaters of the Dead. Crichton, of course, is best-selling science fiction author of 
the Andromeda Strain, and the Terminal Man. Well, he's the one that did uh, Jurassic Park, right? Sure did. Yeah. Logan's Run, author's update. As part of Starlog's continuing coverage of Logan's Run projects from comics to TV, here's an update that we received from a man in the know, William Nolan, co-author of the novel of Logan's Run. Logan Lives, producer of Ivan, Jeff, and Ben Roberts, began production in February on the Logan TV series. I co-scripted the 60-minute pilot with Saul David dealing with the city-esque elements from the book film, but extending these into an outside-the-city wilderness adventure. A new character has also been introduced, Rem, a robot companion to Logan and Jessica. The Marvel Comics version of Logan Run will continue with new adventures of Logan and Jessica in the 23rd century, starting with issue number 6. There may be a future tie-in between MGM Television and Marvel, with the comic book adapting the TV series into the illustrated format. Now, we have both the comic book series and we've watched all the original series. I mean, you loved watching Logan's Run when you were younger. It was a good show. I mean, I liked it. And and to me, it some of the episodes were like Star Trek, because they, they were episodes dealing with, with human issues. And especially, I mean, even Rem, who was an android, and and yeah, and I did watch it during my TNG years, and you know, because I was watching uh, Logan's Run in reruns, and he did remind me of Data in a lot of ways. He was the he was the really nice, sweet android. San Francisco SpaceCon. After about noon of the second day, it ceased to be startling when we saw. Six Enterprise crew members, two disfigured monsters, a rollerball player, a couple of moon-based alphans, three kids with their bewildered parents, and a dignified man in a business suit, all lined up in the hall of San Francisco's Civic Auditorium waiting to buy hot dogs, moon pies, and something called Celestial Nectar, which was Coca-Cola renamed for the occasion. So it talks about this convention that went on in San Francisco and shows a bunch of pictures of cosplayers at that time and even a van that's painted with space the final frontier on the side. Oh, well, people still do that now. (laughs) The Man from Atlantis. Premiering on NBC March 4th is a two-hour TV movie, The Man from Atlantis, as a pilot for possible future series. The show starred Patrick Duffy in the title role, Belinda Montgomery as Navy Dr. Elizabeth Merrill, and Victor Bueno as evil Mr. Sherbert. Did you ever watch this show, The Man from Atlantis? No, I never saw that one. But I do. I know Patrick Duffy from Dallas. Mm-hmm. But no, I had I didn't, the comic books this. of this when I was younger, so it's weird that I had comics of it and I never watched the show. Well, I think the show didn't really last long, though. It didn't. Robert A. Heinlein, The Making of Destination Moon. Why don't they make more science fiction movies? The answer to any question, why don't they, is almost always money. Now, we saw this movie, Destination Moon. Let's talk a little bit about the movie and about this article. What did you think about it? The movie was pretty good. It was made back in 1950, or when it, that's when it was released. And... Yeah, yeah, I thought it it was a good movie, even for even for our time. I mean, t- 
to, to watch how, how it was made back then. And it's a lot of the things that, that would still be in a, um, in a space exploration movie. I mean, even like, like building a rocket to go to the, to the moon for the first time. A lot of it, a lot of it was realistic. Sure thing. And that's what this article talks about is the struggles, especially in 1950, trying to film something where the sets weren't readily available. Well, this article in here was actually written by Robert Heinlein, and mm-hmm. he's talking about his experience in trying to get this movie made. It was based on, on a book of his. Mm-hmm. What were some of the highlights from the article that you appreciated? Back then, it was just harder and more expensive to do the visuals, because now we can just do CGI, mm-hmm. and we can make it look like anything we want. And back then, it was harder to get to get the look of it right going to the moon and having it look that way or even just being being in space showing their little capsule in space was was very difficult then this is one of the pioneers of science fiction movie making just simple things that we we take for granted such as rotating cameras this is early pioneers of movie production were were able to do that and make it somewhat believable for the time and they did a good job. You can you can see the movie now and see like how how well they did. It 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 holds up pretty well. And it says they had a special effects man, <laughs> Lee Zavitz. It wasn't a special effects team. It was one guy doing the special effects. So That's I give amazing. him I give him credit yeah. for for what he had to work with. And having to do the shots of the of the people in space when they had to um to leave their ship and go outside. I mean, those were good visuals, too. They, I mean, they pulled it off. Totally. Starlog on the set interviews the cast and creative crew behind The Fantastic Journey, a science fiction fantasy. On an uncharted island somewhere in the area of the Caribbean known as the Bermuda Triangle, time and space have warped, bringing together a strange band of adventurers forcing them to embark on a fantastic journey. Tell you what, when we rewatched this show, we had to say there was a modern day parallel. And what was that? What? Lost. Absolutely. I mean, the premise is a boat went out to sea in the Bermuda Triangle, got lost, and appeared on this mysterious island with a lot of random things happening. It, it was very strange. Yeah, so so Lost had what was about a cra- a plane crashing on an island. So this one had a boat that that wound up on an island. But yeah, the the people walking around and trying to figure out what's happening, and and it also involved uh, time travel, and and they met a mysterious person there that who became their friend and helped them on their on their journey through these episodes. Uh, the show actually was produced by Bruce Lansbury, who did Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. And the star, the, the guy that was the uh, strange visitor they met in the first episode was played by Jared Martin. And I know him from Dallas, so, I mean, I, twice in one star log, we have Dallas connections. I know. <laughs> well, well, not only that, but also this show had, um, Susan Howard, who was on Star Trek, and she was also on Dallas. And then Ike Eisenman, who was on Star Trek. He was on this show when he was a kid. So, yeah, so we find out... But he was most known for Escape from Witch Mountain and the Witch yeah. Mountain movies. So he, uh, yeah, he was a child actor. And even he, and he was still pretty young when he when he did Star Trek too. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and this show had Dorothy Fontana, who was a writer from Star Trek. One of the stars of the show was Roddy McDowell, but he wasn't on the early episodes. He came in later. Yes, they must have um, needed to add something else to it. There was a ton going on. Yes. And dealing with time travel, we know that time isn't linear, so they explored that even more so. And Roddy McDowell comments saying, because we know him from Planet of the Apes, he said, for instance, in Apes, I never thought about these characters as anything but another aspect of a given human being of given circumstance. The same in relation with this project. The character I play is just a man in this certain area, reacting to it with as much normalcy as the time as possible. The fact that the science fiction makes it bizarre, that's interesting. Then it isn't just an everyday situation. One of these things, I guess, about science fiction is that it appears interesting because it's larger than life. It's like doing a fairy tale on a larger than life situation. The whole idea is fascinating. The idea of people walking around in different time zones. A rather bizarre arena. Much more interesting than sitting around the table at the same house. It's titillating. (laughs) I don't know about titillating. Well, I mean, at least he was interested in in the job that he had. He was, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But we were kind of not as impressed. I, it seems like the, these episodes ran pretty long. I mean, even, like we're watching see, them I, without commercials. Yeah, I can see why this show really didn't last. Right, it didn't last long. It kind of, yeah, it was kind of slow. Even though it had all this going on, but somehow it was so confusing, it wasn't really enough to keep you interested. Speaking of her role in the fantastic journey, Katie Saylor said, The thing that I find so amazing is that my biggest catch is... In the business seem to be parts that are a little bit bizarre, not just your everyday part. Why? Do you think I'm weird? Oh, she's saying, like, why does she play, why does she keep getting these weird parts? Do I look weird? (laughs) Now we have another special section pullout, the Star Trek, the Star Log Science Fiction Address Guide. That is Motion Pictures. Last issue was about television, and this one is all the different motion picture studios that you can write to. There's a good many of them in here. Would you have wrote to these studios if you had this when when you were younger? (laughs) Moonbase Alpha ceases operation. After months of waiting, wishing, and hoping, we'd finally gotten the word from ITC. As we go to press, there are no plans for the production of the third season of Space 1999. The sets, models, and costumes for the show have already been put into storage. Nick Tate is back in Australia working on an adventure movie. Both Barbara Bain and Martin Landau are in the process of considering various movie roles that have been offered to them. Oh, I love Space 1999. And this article also said that if you if you like the show and you want it, want it brought back write a letter to them mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting it's like a, the writing campaign that saved Star Trek totally Starlog presents the magical techniques of movie and television special effects part one the use of miniatures now this article is heavy on photography and we're seeing photographs of all different science fiction uh, from 
Flesh Gordon, which is strange that they put that here. <laughs> 2001, A Space Odyssey. Various UFOs from different movies, such as When Worlds Collide. And then it's a focus of miniatures and how expensive it is to make miniatures. They actually say it's it's the most expensive type of, of special effect is work using the miniatures. And that's interesting because, yeah, you can see it. that Well, they... They're called miniatures. They're, they, they're very small, but you want them to, to show large on the screen. So those those small things have to be very detailed. And it talks about the need for correct scale. And that's another time-consuming area, is they have to make sure that the people that are in association with the vehicles or the landscapes are of the proper scale. So just calculating takes time as well. And it was interesting what they said about water. It's hard to use water with miniatures because there, there's water droplets, and those things you can't really change the the size of, unless you do camera tricks. But physically, you can't fix that. So you zoom in on it, and it's going to look way too big. Absolutely. And also perspective. When we see miniatures, they also have to be filmed at a certain angle, and there has to be room made for the camera with that. And it shows the different... You have to have different sizes of ships for different scales. And it uses the example of War of the Worlds. Some of the ships were massive, and some were much smaller. And it shows that back in the 1950s. That it took up the bulk of the budget for some of those older films. Because you have to get technicians who really know what they're doing. So we could appreciate that. Magazine closes with the mysteries of the darkened sun. Eclipses, right? Exactly. How that in effect over the years, people couldn't figure out what that was. But we know the science behind eclipses now. And it was saying that the that now you kind of like, we know an eclipse is coming and they kind of celebrate it. They even used to have... Um, Eclipse Cruises, which I don't know if they have now, but it was an interesting idea. Sure is. Magazine closes with an advertisement of Angel, Casablanca Records Band. So if you look at the Angel logo, it says Angel, and here's the cool thing about it. Look at it upside down. It looks the same. Exactly. It's a mirror image logo. Okay, and Angel is the name of what, a rock band? Yes, They were supposed to be the anti-Kiss. Okay. So Kiss was all black, and they were all white. Yes. But they never never really went anywhere. I met Punky Meadows at a convention, and the lead singer, I can't remember his name, and I brought this issue of Starlog to them, and I said, do you have any stories about you being on the back cover of Starlog? And he looked at it, Punky said, I never heard of this before. I don't know anything about this. This is something the record company did. I guess Casablanca, they knew Kiss was into science fiction, so they figured we'd piggyback off of their success. Yeah. (laughs) And Casablanca, again, that's the name of the record studio. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or the company. Okay. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long. And may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu.
This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. Sociopolitical joke that doesn't need to happen right now. <laughs> oh, it's Star Trek. We can talk politics all we want. What? Star Trek's never been about politics. What are you talking about? <laughs> Don't you listen to what William Shatner tweets? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I'm glad you're on today, Dave. You're fun. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Karen Chupla says, so excited, not least of all, because there is a cat. Yes, Karen loves her kitties. Loading Holosuite Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. But then again, senior officer meeting, why is Harry Kim in there? He's an ensign. Because he is the senior ops bridge person. I don't know. But that's what doesn't make sense to me. If he's like the senior ops person, does that mean everyone below him is just a crewman? He's a crewman. <laughs> because he can't boss even Lieutenant Junior grades around. Oh my gosh. So their ops department is just a mess because it's just crewmen. Well, it's a mess also. That explains a lot. <laughs> Actually, it does, about doesn't Voyager. it? Loading Holosuite Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery Podcast. Because we all kind of have that, really. We all have this unconscious part of ourselves that comes to the forefront and says, nope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have an adrenal response and so is it similar to that i mean are there kelpians that have stage fright and so the little ganglia will come up if they have to do public speaking it's, it's <laughs> like probably it's plays. we just don't know yeah. yeah if they if they had plays <laughs> it didn't seem like they really had yeah. that kind of entertainment down on kaminar computer deactivate holosuite